No, but it's intercepted by the Bombers. How many times has happened? Thompson laterals it, and they're on the run. Four receivers to his right. Press That's where he'll look. Pressure on and lost. Open. Down the field. Keon Hatcher. Countdown on. 30, 20, 10. Touchdown, Lions. Polaro's forced to scramble, and he's going to gun it for an open show at the 40. 35, 30, 25. Can he get around corner 20? Dalton Schoen is going to score! Oh my goodness! Everybody, it is the breakdown at DT on OB on the other side of the Zoom. As always, at TSN underscore Marsh right here for you at CF Perspective is where you can find us on social media. And of course, anywhere that you want to get your podcast, just search up Canadian Football Perspective as we head into week number 13 of the Canadian Football League season. As always, we want to thank our good friends over at Fox 40. Start your season off right with products from our partners at Fox 40. Outfit your coaching staff with custom logoed Fox 40 whistles, gear, coaching boards, and more. Visit fox40shop.com and use the code CFP. 15 at checkout for 15% off of your entire order. Speaking of getting your season off to a great start, uh, I'm dreading working with Dwayne Ford Friday night uh, in Montreal because Western beats up on Guelph. McMaster loses to Carlton. Uh, oh, so. <laughs> no. At some point, uh, organically, and I know that Dwayne doesn't listen to this podcast. Uh, at some point organically, I'm sure he's going to have a purple tie on and start talking about those damn horses, and I'm going to have zero rebuttal. So, McMasker, I really need you to start stepping things up so I can get some bragging rights. Because if Queens keeps winning and Rod Smith went there, and Western keeps right. winning and Dwayne Ford went there, we're really going to have some issues in the booth. Ford's got the perfect the perfect setup, right? Like He's like, I wear purple because there's no CFL team that's purple, and I can't yeah. possibly get in trouble. But it just happens to be the color of his school. Like, come on, I feel like maybe this is more about the school. And, <laughs> but, no, he's he's in the perfect spot, and uh, nobody deserves it more than uh, than Dwayne Ford. It's good that he looks good in purple as well. We had a very fun CNE experience, by the way, after the Hamilton Toronto game last Friday night, uh, because Dwayne. It's not that he doesn't move well these days, but uh, football took its toll on Dwayne's hips and knees and ankles a little bit. And as he ages, it's naturally going to happen where they're a little sore and a little this, little that. And <laughs> me as the 31-year-old guy who didn't ever play professional football and barely played university football because I only started for two years. So I don't have like the years of wear and tear or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I-, I look at the terrain schedule Dwayne goes, when does the CNE close down? I'm like, I think 11. And it was like 1040. He's like, oh, God. He's like, are, are we going to be, be like waiting for like five trains in order to get out of here from exhibition? I'm like, I don't know, man, but we should just go now. So we walk our way over there through the carnival and everything else. We dodge past the hot dogs and go past the cotton candy. And we get to basically the platform. And I look up and it says platform one, go train leaving in two minutes. I'm like, Dwayne. Can you go down the stairs, under the tracks, up the stairs, and onto the train that's probably already full in like two minutes? That dude hasn't moved that well since the Vanier that he played in. Uh, he <laughs> he made the train with me, and we found somewhere relatively quiet, just kind of buried away. And we had this great conversation with a, a married couple that had been at the Argos game that were uh, lifelong Argos season ticket holders that were wonderful people and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was funny to see the determination and the competitor and Dwayne Ford come out when I was like, "Can you do this physically right now?" Like after working through a game and having to walk in from exhibition, he's like. Pfft. Don't, don't even think about it. And we were just gone and he just dominated <laughs> it. So 
we uh, we had fun doing that one, and we're going to have Friday in Montreal. My day, actually, as we're recording this on Thursday, Friday is uh, get in the car at like 5 a.m. Uh, there's, oh. there's supposed to be a ton of construction uh, re- lane reductions and different things on the QEW, and I don't know even know where they all are, so I'm just like, I'm getting in the car early. It's like a 7.30 flight to Montreal. We land at 8.30. And then the game isn't for another 11 hours. So I'm just going to go to a park and read for like eight of those, (laughs) eight of those 11 hours, do the game and then quick little nap. And then like 4.30 AM flight out on Saturday morning to get back to Pearson, to get the car to drive back to Hamilton nice and early for Saturday morning. So that'll be a fun 24 hours, but it'll be nice to sit in Montreal and uh, and read a book. There's worse places to be on a nice uh, afternoon on Friday. If only there were places where you could like rent a room that had a bed in it, <laughs> or you could lay down and sleep or ah. just watch TV or something. I, someone's got to think about that. It's, it'd be like Airbnb, but like major corporations. Well, to be know, fair, to be fair, they have one for me for uh, for Friday night. Uh, my corporate overlords have uh, have blessed me with more than I've ever asked for. They just laugh at me because everybody that works in this industry goes in like you know, two days earlier, whatever it is typically in order to like get sound and get ready. And I just like, don't want to waste time away from my son. So I just kind of like fly in day of fly out kind of thing. So, and I know the next, next Saturday we have uh, a 2 PM kickoff in Ottawa because it's triple header Saturday. And I've got like a 7 a.m. flight out of Pearson, 2 p.m. kickoff. And we're all on the same flight back to Pearson at like 7 p.m. So it's just going to be like, Wake up, drive, fly, call game, drive, fly, drive, day done, go back to bed. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be a funny one. But uh, but yeah, DT, this there's so much of stuff to talk about around the Canadian Football League. Obviously, Labor Day weekend is is sensational and it feels special and different. Uh, I know the Zoom chat that I had with Danny Machocha ahead of the Montreal-Ottawa game, I asked him in his experience of coaching, like, what does Labor Day football actually mean to you? And aside from him saying, well, it means it's time for me to start making all of the trades. uh, What he did say, (laughs) what he did say was it feels different for us, like in the building. And it's not even necessarily the chill in the air or the season schedule or starting to see the playoff windows or he just said it feels different. Like it it feels more important. It feels like more people are interested in what we are doing right now. What does Labor Day mean to you? What does Labor Day weekend mean to you? Uh, this time, like I'm on the opposite side of a rivalry this time, right? For the first yeah. two, I was on the Saskatchewan side of the Saskatchewan Winnipeg rivalry. And in 19, that, that game and the Banjo Bowl were incredible, incredible football games. In 21, they were Winnipeg was just mopped up Saskatchewan twice en route to the Great Cup again. Um, honestly, it, it just, it's when the fa- fans are at their, at their best, right? Summer's coming to an end, you know, hey, school's on the way, so we're going to have to get the kids back. But This is our last time to go bonkers. Just go bonkers. And the crowd in Saskatchewan for that game, if, if you've never been, the crowd in Sask for Labor Day game is crazy. It's yeah. just crazy. And it's – I'm not – you know, as, as a numbers guy, I don't really believe in you throw out the records. But, right. I mean – uh, Saskatchewan won 10 in a row. Like <laughs> Winnipeg won two, Saskatchewan then won 10 in a row. And so as much as, you know, Winnipeg should take out Saskatchewan handily on Sunday, it's Labor Day. And I don't, I don't, I'm uncomfortable. My brain knows it should only matter the quality of the teams and how healthy they are going <laughs> into it. But there's another part of me that goes, ah, but it's Labor Day. It's yeah. Labor Day and, and strange things can happen. And my experience with that is the 0-8 Ticats. 
Like I was doing radio yeah. on the 08 Ticats and then Toronto came in, it was like had a lightning delay and this and that. And it's like just weird stuff tends to happen because, and this was, uh, I think, Greta, I was on the audio, Ticats Audio Network this week doing a podcast uh, with Bubba O'Neill uh, and Steve Simmons was on it. And when they kind of asked us the idea of like, what's a Labor Day memory for you? And I kind of mentioned that one and what that team was about and the fact that it was obvious that they were going to have a difficult year and there were going to be changes that were coming, which ended up happening with Kent Austin being like going all the rest. But when I really think about that, I think about the resiliency of the Hamilton fans where it was like nothing else mattered and it felt like a bowl game. Like it felt like it was a one-off where everybody had traveled in and that was all that mattered that day. So that's, that's how I feel about Labor Day and, Labor Day Monday, obviously, between Calgary, Edmonton, Hamilton, Toronto. Uh, the league is really trying to make him, uh, Ottawa, Montreal something that is that is mm-hmm. worth fans being able to engage with, which I think is really smart because if, if you're able to get that and then you get an Atlantic team, then you can have kind of the five matchups on Labor Day weekend, which would be awesome. But for me, it's the fact that in those stadiums, for those three hours, and even the, you know, the tailgate before or whether it's afterwards or whatnot, depending on the time of the kickoff, nothing else feels like it matters. Like, that's the thing I think that makes it feel special is that it's kind of like this frozen moment in time where everybody, as you're saying, there's, and not to get too deep on all this stuff, you know, this is not Wellness Wednesday, uh, but we tend to look forward and look back in everything that we do. It's look forward, look back. We're very, very rarely present in what we are doing in that moment. But when you're in a Labor Day CFL stadium for three hours, you're not you're not thinking about work the next day. You're not thinking about whether or not you left the toaster down when you were at home before you left. It's like you're here and the game and the people are all that matters. And that's really unique because even in a regular season game, even in playoff games, sometimes you're thinking about like, oh, God, if we win this game, we got to go on the road. It's going to be a short turnaround. It's nothing else matters. Like it, even if you have a short turnaround for your next regular season game, people just don't seem to care with this game, which makes it feel really unique. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. There's some there's some guys on the Bombers that are first timers in this rivalry, and I talked to one of them before the season started. I just wanted to put up, hey, uh, what's the biggest rivalry you were ever in? What do you know about the Winnipeg Saskatchewan rivalry? Because I'm like, I'm gonna plant this seed, and I said I'm gonna come back and talk to you after Labor Day and get <laughs> Donald Rutledge's uh, reaction to now that he was there, and now that the on side we're cursing at him for 60 minutes straight like what what he what he will be on now that he's on the other side of it because you know american guys american guys they have a college rival and they know what rivalries are all about but this is i mean winnipeg sash calgary edmonton toronto hamilton fingers crossed montreal ottawa becomes a real real thing this is uh this is the fan bases who who hate each other who there's nothing for a certain segment of Ryder fans, there's nothing the Bombers can do right. For a certain segment of Bomber fans, there's nothing the Riders can do right. And it's it makes it tremendous. Yeah, yeah, it does make the in-stadium experience awesome. And honestly, for us in the broadcast booth, whether it's radio or television, like I want fans to know we feel that. Like that yeah. actually and that actually energizes us because we can feel the energy in the building. We and it goes the other way too. When we're broadcasting games, if it's dead, there's times where you're in commercial break and you're like, man. Like people don't seem to give a damn what's happening out here, but Labor Day is <laughs> never and Banjo nope. Bowl is never going to be like that as long as those two fan bases are alive and well. So uh it should be a fantastic weekend of games. We have some news, of course, to cover though, uh, because there's all sorts of moving and shaking happening around the league. There's lots of different injury movements, there's some signings happening in Edmonton, which hey, that happens because Chris Jones is gonna bring everybody in. Uh, but Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, the trade that uh, that was reported by Farnology earlier on in the week became finalized as of Wednesday, and 
immediately, uh, you know what? I don't even want to frame this as how I interacted with DT. I want to know when you first saw that it was being floated, that it was serious. And when Farhan puts that stuff out, it very rarely is like, I'm hearing that it could be finalized by, if it's going to happen, that's when he's tweeting, it's going to be finalized. Like it's very rare that he yeah. says, hey, this is going to happen. It doesn't. When you saw him saying this is going to be finalized and you went, okay, this is probably going to go down. Where did your mind go to immediately? Uh, one Rourke's done for the year was the first thing I thought, like they had, a, they had a timeline, they put out, okay, well, whatever it was six to eight weeks right. to me, that's, you, you know, to me, I don't think you make this move if, if Rourke has a really good chance of being back this season. So I immediately thought, okay, well, they're, admit, they're admitting Rourke's done. And two, I honestly, I loved everything BC did this year to try to take advantage of the fact they have a quarterback on a, a very small salary. I love all the moves they made that the talent they put in there. And I thought, you know what? I, I like this one too. I We've discussed this before. I'm not a Vernon Adams guy. I think there are real problems in his game that that we've talked about. But if if you're going to, I mean, you have this roster you, you put together, you crafted, and clearly it is very successful. Th- this is the move. This is the only move they really could have made. There's no other quarterback. If, if Arbuckle is now officially the starter for the rest of time in Ottawa, there's no other quarterback available. In the Canadian Football League, that makes a bit of difference over Michael O'Connor and Antonio Pipkin. And I mean, Calgary's not letting Jake Mayer go. They're not letting Bo Levi Mitchell go to a rival. Edmonton, no. Saskatchewan, no. Winnipeg, Drew Brown has f- free passes to, to hang his hat on. You're not doing that. So this is, this is the move. So I'm happy BC made this move to go, we're going for it because we have all this talent. We're not just going to let this go to waste because – Michael O'Connor is now injured. Now we get Antonio Pipkin and some other dude that we have to bring in. So uh, I, I applaud the move, even though it's not Vernon is not the one. If I had short, if I had my druthers, it wouldn't be Vernon. But he, in this case, BC did not have its choice of quarterback. It kind of feels in a weird way like Montreal uh, last year when people were looking around at the possibility of the Trevor Harris deal, where it was like, oh, Trevor's probably not going to be here long. And it was like, well, what's the fit? And Montreal wasn't the perfect fit, but it was kind of like in a nine-team league, you're looking at all the teams and you're like, well, there's not like a ton of options out here that Trevor kind of fits. And so it's not that it was inevitable. Um, I certainly toyed with the, you know, I tweeted out, I can't stop thinking about how good Chris Strebler would look in orange just because I was like, well, he looks like he's, oh. kind, of, he's kind of an improved <laughs> passer. And if you get this like crazy beat you between the tackles running game to go with taking deep shots over, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that would have looked like, but I just thought that would be a really fun experiment considering the NFL preseason he's at, which by the way, I should mention as well. I asked Paul Lapley's on our zoom this week. Hey, uh, what have you thought of the whole Strevler thing, considering that you were kind of responsible for crafting and molding him in his time in Winnipeg? And he just goes, oh, I talked to him last night. He's like, and I go, did you reach out to him to say congrats on a great preseason? Or did you reach out to him in Ottawa? Because you're like, hey, are you busy? Because <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, hey, either of those are possibilities. But no, he he was just reaching out to congratulate him and kind of check in and see how things were. And, and he knew that he was already going to re-sign with the practice roster with the Jets. But um, when you were looking at solutions for BC after O'Connor got dinged and Pipkin played the way that he did, which, I mean, third string, what are, what are you going to expect? VA, when I talked to him back in like week six or seven before the Ticats game yeah, Thursday night or in Hamilton, he wasn't dead set on Edmonton, but he was pretty sure that Chris Jones was going to make a move for him because Trey Ford was down. They wanted an athletic quarterback. Kyle Oxley's there. 
but he's less of a passer as it stands right now than Vernon is, especially not a proven entity. So VA wasn't like, hey, I'm going. He just said, yeah, we've kind of been in discussion with Edmonton is what I've been told, and we'll see where it goes. But I, I think I'm probably going to end up there in the next couple of weeks. And he was just basically saying, I'm just excited to get an opportunity to play whatever ends up happening. And then as soon as I saw the news come in, I immediately started thinking, okay, Rourke was throwing a lot of short passes to begin the year. But when he was going deep, he had 18 touchdowns to four interceptions. He had an efficiency rate of 158.3. He was yeah. able he was able to show that Dominique Rimes was a pretty elite deep ball receiver this season. And I started kind of going, well, Rourke was doing that within the framework of here's the offense, and once in a while I'll take the deep shot. But when I do, it's this crazy success rate and this incredible production. And I was like, VA in 2021 threw the second most passes of 20 yards or more. I think it was like 60. The only reason he didn't have more than Cody Fajardo, who had 65, was because he didn't end up playing as many snaps as Fajardo because Cody played the whole season and VA got pulled and, and Vernon got hurt, obviously. So um, I just, I looked at it and I thought in terms of deep ball entry, cause I really, the first half of this year, yes, it's been about work, but really in BC, it's been about entertainment. It's been about Amar Doman bringing in one Republic and lucky whitehead being explosive and big catches over the middle by Brian Burnham and the stadium experience changing. And we're welcoming in UBC students and it's cheap this night. And it's like the patio parties back and there's this energy in this vibe. And so for me, without even applying my X's and O's sensibility of what's this offense going to look like, how they're going to craft it. What is he going to do on the deep ball? Who's he going to connect with very quickly and get chemistry with? I just started thinking, man, if I'm the BC lions, and I'm going for this this vibe of recreating a fan base, this is such a risky but brilliant move. Because yep. VA could, abso- especially being back on the West Coast where maybe he just feels more comfortable, VA could absolutely be a lightning bolt of entertainment and excitement that sets that market on fire for the remainder of this season if he's able to get up to speed and avoid a bunch of different mistakes that we've talked about in the past. That's where it becomes interesting to me because... With Rourke, you were getting not a clean sheet. He was not perfect, even though we always talk about him like he was. But he was pretty close to giving you like (laughs) as good a quarterback play as you've seen in the last five years plus in the CFL. VA is not going to give you that, but he is going to give you incredible highs. And at times, he's going to just throw it to a dude. And that's what you and I are talking about in terms of like accuracy and decision making. And, and so the BC crowd, there was this great shot of a young man who had his head in his hands and, and he looked up on the broadcast He looked to his friend and he just said, F me, dude. And it was because Pipkin had just made some like boneheaded play. And I was like, that's kind of what the experience is going to be like, is you're going to be out of your seat. If you're a Lions fan going crazy excited about this, because you're going to get these deep balls and these daring throws into double coverage and Dominic Grimes is going to make these crazy one-handers 50 40 yards down the field and then you're going to get other times where you're just like oh man I still miss Rourke because there's no replacing Rourke that's what this all comes back to but you've done the best that you can given the circumstances yeah absolutely um Vernon in 21 had the the highest average depth of target I've ever seen in my life it was nuts and I was just going through I have a database that goes back to 2015 like his depth of target for his career is a yard past everybody else. I think in like, 2021, the league had it at 13.9, I believe, yeah. uh, which is pretty crazy. Like, and, it's, that's, yeah. and that wasn't even, I don't know if that was even his deepest season. Like, it was close, but. He, I haven't, uh, he only had 33 passes in 18. And it was over 14, but like for his right. career, 
it's it, the numbers are, are nuts. So he clearly likes to he likes to move the ball downfield, and he's not the. I guess the problem becomes he he likes to do it, but he's not great at it. Like Rourke, one fifty eight point three is the maximum passer rating could possibly be. Like that's a perfect passer rating, but you know that's that's just the thing that it is. I have. Vernon, and then we'll dig into some of the other stuff. Vernon at 102 for his career, so yeah. two for like tenth of you know behind Drew Willie. But yeah, yeah, and but I then, had but I Michael Riley's right there, right? In, so it's it's Michael Riley ish. Even in 2021, which is an interesting comparison because when I think of Michael Riley on the deep ball, I'm like I would take that, you know. Uh, but when I I look at uh, you know VA in 2021, just to have the most recent example of him when he was chucking it over the top to Geno Lewis. Yep. I think he was like fifth or sixth when I looked it up from 2021 on deep ball efficiency rating. And I I take that and I think to myself, like, if he can turn what was essentially a short crosser-ridden offense this past week with Michael O'Connor and Antonio Pipkin and more quarterback run because they were in desperation with a third quarterback and on and on and on, if they can reignite Dominique Rimes and turn him into a version of Geno Lewis then BC's back. Like they're back in the conversation of scoring points and winning games because this is the thing when you off the top, you're so right about this DT. They have built out a roster. This is not just a receiver and quarterback driven team. Their punting game is performing at a very, very high level right now with Stefan Flintoff. Like their, their net yep. punting is right up near the top of the league. Last time that I checked it a couple of weeks ago, they, the return game, they are dangerous. Like I think that they, they have the ability defensively to play a variety of different styles for Ryan Phillips. If they stop taking you know dumb penalties at the end of the games, um, <laughs> they'll be much better off. But I think they can play man. I think they can play zone. I think they can pressure. I think they can rush three. I think like, they all do all of this stuff. So the question is, how do you score enough points to support the rest of that team? And if VA can get Dominique and Lucky and Burnham going, and connect with them and find some chemistry, like they will score points. And that's why I say they're back in the conversation because they did a segment on the CFL and TSN panel this past weekend of where's where's the West standings going to shake out by the end of the year now that Nathan Rourke is gone. And I think Dunnigan had them in like a crossover spot, or maybe it was Stiegel had them fourth going in the crossover, and Dunnigan had them down in third with it being Winnipeg and then Calgary and Saskatchewan being kind of whether or not there's you know the three or the four and then Edmonton down in five. Uh, right. I think that's the most realistic scenario right now. But with VA back in, if they can score enough points and play the complementary football with their defense at a high level with Ryan Phillips, they can hold on to the number two spot and they can host a home playoff game, which would be great for Amargo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in in uh, You mentioned three receivers, but you didn't mention Javon Katoy, yes. weapon. And Keon Hatcher could be that Geno Lewis crosser guy. Like They have multiple options that most teams don't have the option, that didn't have the chance to get because of what work provided them and good work from that front office. And then, oh, by the way, like that defense, I, I just need to, I need to pull up some, some defensive stuff because that defense has not yet been what I thought it would be. And the potential for so much more is there. Boom Guachem is number three in the league in quarterback pressures by my count. Like boom is killing guys. Yeah. Absolutely killing guys from that short side. Uh, Tim Bonner just constantly all over. Dude. David Menard. I mean, I thought it was kind of funny last year that Menard was the most outstanding Canadian nominee from the East. But I, over between games this week, I've been through two or three BC Lion games. Menard is killing people. Yeah. He's killing people from that edge. Like, it's 
And then, oh, by the way, here's their linebackers and their coverage. Okay, it's it's had some struggles that shouldn't have been. But that defense should be able to shut some things down if it's healthy and if it's in one piece. So, I mean, you have to – if you're the new quarterback, you have to go in there and, okay, we can do a little run and I'm going to be protected. I just have to not – to me, it all kind of comes back to he has to be – Okay, well, he has to be more accurate with his balls. Like, he's going to get saved in a bunch of spots, right? Because you can throw rhymes just about anything, and he can make catches on inaccurate passes. But uh, was it Montreal-Calgary last year where they're about to, they're driving for the winning score, and he one-hops one to Jake Winicky, And then the final play of the game, he throws a ball that drags Geno Lewis out of the end zone, and they miss winning by this much because – He's just that little bit inaccurate. That's that's got to be the thing. That's when you go through his numbers in short, intermediate, deep, overall, accuracy is his problem. And this is an offense that will probably compensate for that. But Rourke was so far the other way that it's going to require some some adaptation for sure. Yeah, and and just to drive this point home on the accuracy stuff, like to the eye test, it's one thing to actually track it. Like you and I both have confirms that he is at times below the league average when it comes to accuracy at a variety of different depths. And you can't even necessarily, when somebody has mechanics, they're a little bit inconsistent is what I would call VAs. Like even sometimes he'll, he'll make a throw and TSN will cut to a shot of him trying to like correct his, his hips in the moment because he's like, ah, I just didn't, I didn't fire it the right way. And it's like with Rourke, that stuff was so incredibly ingrained from his offseason training with Rob Williams. You can tell every mm. every single throw, every mechanic, the whole chain of the posterior of how he's going to snap through and when the elbow comes, never even thought of. And that's the difference on accuracy. Is you see, like there's this great quote about quarterback accuracy where it says, decent quarterbacks, if you're using kind of a house analogy, they'll be able to hit the front door from the end of the driveway, right? the better quarterbacks will be able to hit the doorknob and the great ones will hit the keyhole. And it's like Rourke was hitting yeah. the keyhole. Like Rourke was absolutely locked in. Like I'm going to put it, he's like a, a sharpshooter every single time. And VA at this point is just not that. And the question becomes twofold for me. One, what do they do to try to counter that? Because it's not like they acquired him thinking, well, it's the most accurate passer in the history of the CFL. They know what they're getting but you can't have his inaccuracies at times lead to interceptions, turnovers, being loose with the football, because that's how you're going to lose a bunch of games. You acquire this dude and you just become a turnover machine and you put the ball in bad spots. So what do they do structurally in the offense to try and protect him in that way? And then the second thing is, yes, Rhymes, to your point, makes a lot of great catches on balls that don't have to be perfect. Burnham can do the same thing to a certain extent. Yes. And the question becomes whether or not, and again, this sounds like we're slandering VA. We're not. We're just having an open discussion about what this BC offense looks like moving forward is can he put the ball inside of that allowable range where they can go and make those fantastic catches? Because there's a really small degree of difference between, wow, what a great catch on a ball that maybe could have helped him a lot more. And, oh, that's a yikes miss. And he probably should have made that throw. Uh, I don't think there's much difference between those two things at times from what I've seen in his full career, which there are days, to be fair to VA as well, where he can hit the keyhole five or six times and he blows you yeah. away. But then he'll make two throws that you're like, oh, that was second and eight. And that dude was wide open on a corner route. and You sailed it over his head. Damn, you really wish you had that one back. you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, just a few points to throw out. Uh, mm-hmm. Dominic Grimes, 11 catches on inaccurate passes this season. Yep. Number two in the CFL. It will not surprise anybody to know that Kenny Lawler is number one in that stat because, <laughs> yikes, at what's happening there. Um, I, I just, I went I just got to say, Cornelius's target chart this past week, like we were going wild on the TSN broadcast. I wasn't calling the game, but I think it was Rod yeah. Smith and Suter. And, and they were partially trying to sell that game because it's Ottawa Edmonton. It's the two teams at the bottom of the two divisions, whatever. But they kept replaying all those great Lawler catches. And I put together the target chart. And Cornelius's entire target chart was like under 10 yards, like do 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 And then there was four green dots 40 or 50 yards down the field. And I'm like, Lawler, 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 and whoever yeah. that dude and whoever that dude is that's wearing 17 that just showed up that we they yeah. ran his high school highlights. I was like, that's not even a Darrell Walker completion. That's just a new dude. Caleb Holly too. I like to think of him as until I, <laughs> until I learned his name. Um, just just on Rourke to uh, to Vernon Adams expected com- completion percentage over expected Rourke number one in the CFL by a mile. Yep. There are two quarterbacks over three points above expected. Rourke is eleven points above expected as completion percentage. That's insane. A- insane. Uh, for this season, Vernon Adams is the worst. Thirteen points below expected. Uh, Rourke number two, number two in passing accuracy to expected, and uh, Vernon Adams uh, third worst hmm. in passing accuracy to expected. And that's just these are the throws he made X Y on the field, and he one hops it to him. And oh, by the way, Vernon Adams in my entire database number one in uncatchable passes. Yeah, so, and, that's, and that's the ones that I'm talking the, about where it's like the corner route and it sails the dude by five yards. And you're just like, yep. what, what the hell was like, why why did that come out of his hand? Because And this is the scary thing about VA. And it's the reason why I talk about this being a little bit feast or famine with him is that he will. And this is it's such a frustrating thing with these quarterbacks like this year when um, when Caleb Evans really struggled against Calgary, I was in the tunnel and I was talking to somebody from the Ottawa organization and they said to me, you seem like you're angry. It, it's like, you're not even like a, a part of our organization, but it seems like you're angry. And I said, I am because I see so much in Caleb Evans. Like I see, he makes sometimes he's like, he plays in Toronto and he's making smart decisions and throwing the ball away and being accurate underneath and knowing when to use his legs. It's like, I see it, man. I see the big picture. I want to see it develop and I want to see it consistently. VA will make an in-breaking throw between linebackers in front of the free safety on timing when he hits his back foot that blows your mind and then two throws later he'll throw it into a defensive lineman's chest and like and that's the stuff that just drives you absolutely nuts but again i'm super interested because jordan mcsimmick has been if you want to give out an award the assistant coach of the year uh at this point and i mean you could debate that there's some really good special teams coaching going on and that's an interesting discussion maybe for a different episode of the breakdown but uh i would i would say that he's been very very uh good in assisting the ability of nathan work to explore the cfl landscape throughout his early career and i'm just really curious does this look just like the playbook that we've seen for the last while like, is VA going to come in and have to adapt to, hey, here's the BC Lions offensive playbook. These are the things that we run. Or is it going to be a collaborative process where they have the bye week and they say, let us create something around you for the remainder of the year. What are your favorite concepts? What do you feel comfortable reading? What do you guys call some things? Because there can be a meshing of the minds 
in this situation where you say this is beneficial to us both. Because if he mm. comes in and they just say, here's our playbook and here's how you run it and he's not good at it, they're screwed and this was a dumb move. If he comes in and they give him carte blanche and say, you want to totally reconstruct our offense? That's a dumb move by BC. They shouldn't do that. They have to meet in the middle somewhere. I would say more like 70% BC playbook, 30% VA influence. If they can do that, I think that's the best formula for them to have success and prevent the throws that make you go, oh, what the hell was that? Because I think those throws are most likely to come if he's running things that he A, doesn't feel comfortable with, or B, just can't recognize coverage because he's thinking too much about what he's doing. The the one thing, and, and th- this all shows up on tape, the one thing I find most surprising about Adams when I dive into the numbers is he's not as good a runner as I seem to think in my mind. Like right. designed run game. And like he's he's incredible at keeping plays alive and ripping around and giving us highlight ones, but he doesn't coaches haven't used him in the design run game near as much as a Masoli, Strebler, uh Fajardo, guy, guys like that, uh, even a Jonathan Jennings. Uh his scramble numbers aren't as good as all the guys that we just mentioned. And I find that super interesting because who do you th- who's better at keeping plays alive? Like, hey, yeah. Kolaris, Kolaris is a different kind of keeping it alive, right? But who's better than Vernon Adams when you're watching at keeping plays alive? But it's it's not harnessed, or he's not been able to do it in in a designed running attack, which could add an extra. I mean, can you? The, these receivers we're talking about, James Butler's having a nice year behind that line. Add this element in if it's if it exists, you know, in a designed capacity. And oh my gosh, okay, well now we're now we're really working. Everything raises the floor a little bit on a guy who struggles with with passing. Yeah, the thing I'm interested in when it comes to the quarterback run game is for all the things that Antonio Pipkin didn't excel at in emergency duty this past week, holy hell did his legs look fresh. Right? Like yeah. he he was a newborn bunny that was running in an open field, like just outrunning angles and spry and juking people and and now that you can have the two quarterbacks on the field, I would really like to see them because VA has great hands and VA has some speed. He's a legitimate threat as a receiver. I would, I think it would be a great time for the BC Lions to dabble into the Hamilton Tiger Cats world of two quarterbacks on the field. And I'm not saying it's a full package or you run it 10 plays a game or it's what I'm saying is two snaps a game maximum, but you start to work stuff in over the next five, six weeks where VA's at quarterback and uh, Pipkin's on the outside and you run a base concept and then maybe you get a first down, you go hurry up, Pipkin's in, he's running zone read. And then like you can mix and match these things and just like, it's it's so great that the league allows the two quarterbacks on the field for specific situations like this where now you have a quarterback like VA who's not really a called run guy and Pipkin really does feel like a called run guy. And so you can have them both on the field and totally change your offense, but they both have athleticism. They both have hands. So they're actually legitimate threats to catch the football as well. I just, I would love to see BC take advantage of that, given the move that they just made and the quarterback depth chart that they have in their possession right now. Hipkin is, and I'm sure you have these guys. Uh, they're, they're just guys that I have that I go, God, I like this guy. And I, I, I want to, yeah. I want to, like, there were times where I'm like, oh, this Pipkin, this Pipkin from Montreal. He's the next thing. And and watching that game, right? Like he is so smooth when he's scrambling around and running. And his his accuracy numbers in that game were were awful and his his overall stats were bad. But man, he moves it so well. And I watch him and I go, I feel like 
okay, you move you you move as fluidly as a guy like Caleb Evans, and we've seen it for a couple of years. Now, if you could just and we could just have a little of this, and you could just and then <laughs> I've, I've got a, I've got a great cup winning quarterback, and then you go, yeah, I'm I, this isn't bad. I'm not creating a player, but there I'm I'm glad you said that because there's there's value in Pipkin, and you uh, I mean if you want an edge in the, in the Canadian Football League, find a use for your second quarterback. Don't just have him. Uh, Calgary uses Tommy Stevens as a sneak guy. There's a little value. Dominic Davis in Montreal, value. Uh, uh, Dakota Prukop in Winnipeg, extra value. Saskatchewan doesn't really do it because their starter is a good scrambler. But squeeze out that value because if you're chasing down the Bombers and you're trying to stay ahead of the Stampeders, squeeze every bit of value you can right now if you're the BC Lions. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll say this as we wrap up here that I uh, I had a funny moment with Paul Lapolis on the Zoom this week where uh, he said, you know, I, I really wanted to get Nick a passing touchdown in Edmonton and then you know, we had Bahar fall down at the one and I had to go wedge because we're at the one. And then he said, and then later in the game, we did this. And then, you know, Darwin doesn't get in the end zone and I got to go wedge again. And I go, whoa, whoa, I, Lapo. As someone who calls the games and really loves excitement, you don't have to go wedge. I said, that, that's, <laughs> that's, a deci- right. that's the decision that you make is to go wedge. You don't have to. And he just kind of like rolled his eyes. He goes, no, listen, the first time that we're at the one and I go incomplete 0 for 3, I'm fired. <laughs> He's, he was like, so I'm not doing that. Like, like I'm going wedge from the one because I'm going to win from the one with 90% of the time. So I'm going wedge. I'm sorry that's not good for you on the TV side, but I'm going wedge. And I, was like, I was like, eh, you know what? I tried. I, at least I tried to convince a head coach that he doesn't have to do that. So <laughs> Fantasy players would have loved to see Arbuckle. Uh, how much time do we have? So we need to talk about the uh... – did does Danny Machocha have a gun pointed at Chris Jones in that trade, that Costigan Ellis Nafiz Lion trade? You know what? Did we it... we will wrap this podcast right now, and we will do a quick little five minute snippet on uh, on all things Edmonton and Montreal as a bonus copy of uh, of the breakdown for you here. Let people know uh, in about twenty seconds or so, DT, where they can find you for Labor Day weekend. Uh, at DT on OB, at DT on CJOB, and then six eighty CJOB. Uh, Five o'clock Winnipeg time for uh, the, the the big game, the Labor Day game. There you go. That's going to be it for us here on the breakdown. Thanks so much for listening, as always, everybody, and make sure you follow along at CF Perspective on social media.